It is a honor to be here. As Pastor Jeff said, this was, uh, this was my home church. So you talk more about sending out, you know, another way that this church is sent out is, uh, you know, coming from this church. Um, I'm the assistant pastor up there and oversee the youth. And if you're ever in, the, in Eagle or Gypsum area, you come mountain bike in Eagle. Or if you uh, ski in Vail or Beaver Creek, love to have you come check out our church up there uh, and have you visit for the weekend. So we're going to pray, though, before we get into our study, and then we'll study God's Word. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance to come here before you, Lord, Lord, and just to hear you speak. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be in this place, speaking to each one of our hearts. Lord, you know what we're going through. You know our situations. You know our struggles. And you know where we need to hear from you this morning. We ask that you would just speak. Father, help me to get out of your way. Help all of us to get out of your way. May you move. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be in the first book of our Bible, Genesis 32. And as you're flipping there, I want to tell you a story. So when I went to, to college, I went to school up the road at CSU. Uh, my freshman year, I lived on campus uh, at Newsom Hall, and in our dorm, we had a, a floor of all guys, right? So it was 40 guys living on a floor, and one weekend, one of the guys on the floor decided to bring up his, his, a couple pair of his boxing gloves, right? So him and his roommate decided, you know, oh, let's, let's try these out, right? Let's go have a little match. And so his roommate, you know, we were watching him fight, and his roommate, you know, we kept saying, hey, protect the face, take, you know, take the body, protect the face, take the body blows. And sure enough, he kept dropping his hands. And then his roommate took one punch, boom, right to the side of the head, kid went down. Well, the dramatic news of that spread across the hallway, and everybody wanted a piece of this, right? Wanted to get in on the action. So what do we do as good college students? We cleared out all the furniture out of our study hall and set up a boxing ring, and everybody started fighting each other, right? So this went on for a while. It was a great time. And eventually, you know, I kind of moved on. I went back to my room. I remember watching college. I was watching a college basketball game in there with a few buddies. And all of a sudden outside, an ambulance shows up. A fire truck shows up. I wasn't thinking about it there. I didn't associate the two because we had actually had a, a girl a couple floors above that had been going through some medical issues. And we were like, oh, no, did something happen to her? You know, weren't really connecting the dots. All of a sudden, my roommate walks into the room, and he's walking, you know, with his chin to his chest. And you're like, hey, man, how's it going? He doesn't really say anything. You're like, okay, that's weird. Then a police officer comes to my door. He asks for my roommate. And my roommate goes outside. We're like, what is happening? What had happened is my roommate, big, strong kid, barrel-chested, really, you know, was the, the high school uh, football star for his high school and everything, decided to fight the least athletic, nerdiest kid on the floor, right? Not even close to a fair fight. And, and hit him so hard that he, like, couldn't breathe. His chest, now he was fine, right? But his chest was hurting. He couldn't breathe, so they panicked. They called 911, right? The ambulance comes. Cops are like, We're, do we need to press charges? And the kid's like, no, I was the one who chose to fight him, right? It's not assault, even though I got beat up so bad, right? This kid got destroyed. The, the best part about it, he was fine, remember? The best part about it, the next year, CSU actually had to put in writing in their dorm rules, no boxing. So we, we were proud. It's hard to get a new rule on campus, but we got a new rule. Well, this morning we're going to read about a story that's also a bit of a mismatch, not a fair fight. And we're going to read about Jacob. Jacob gets into a fight. 
Now, we're, let's, let's get a little context to bring us up to speed to where we are. Anytime you do a topical study, it's important to understand what's going on so you don't take things out of context. So, so again, Jacob. Jacob's the son of Isaac, right? Isaac, the son of Abraham. You have that family line. And Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. And if you remember the family dynamics, right? Uh, Jacob was kind of the soft-spoken, you know, he was the mama's boy. And Esau, he was the manly man of the family, right? Big, strong, hairy guy, loved to hunt. He was dad's favorite. But Jacob wasn't like that. But we also read that Jacob was kind of a scoundrel, right? He was a schemer. He loved to trick people. You know the story where he stole his brother's birthright for a bowl of stew, then there's the other story, right? The father was going to uh, give them, uh, give Esau his blessing. Isaac was going to do that. And Jacob, remember, he goes and kills a goat, puts the goat fur on his arm, and tricks his dad, who was blind at the time, into getting that blessing. And Esau comes back, and he's so mad. What does he want to do? He wants to kill his brother, right? He is furious. You stole my birthright. Now you stole my blessing. I'm going to kill you. So Jacob runs. He flees. And he goes eastward to another land to, and actually finds his uncle Laban and starts to work for his uncle Laban and kind of meets his match there, right? Laban tricks him into marrying the wrong girl, right? He marries Leah instead of Rachel. But Jacob would eventually get back and trick Laban into letting him grow and amass this huge wealth while working for him. And so Jacob was always this schemer. And at this point, you know, Jacob, Jacob's kind of later on in his life. He's got uh, many kids, 11 kids at this point, and he decides to leave his uncle Laban and move back to the land of Canaan with his family. Jacob's name, something else that's interesting, Jacob's name means heel catcher or deceitful. And that was kind of his MO in his life, right? He was a schemer. He was deceitful. He was always tricking people. And so at this point, where we pick up, Jacob is moving his family back to the land of Canaan. All his, his kids, his family, his herds, his servants, a huge process to move them. And on the way, they end up having to pass through the land that his brother Esau is in charge of. So he sends this delegation ahead of him to ask permission uh, politely to move uh, through that land safely. And he gets word that Esau and 400 men are going to come to meet him. And Jacob is terrified. Last time he was around his brother, he wanted to kill him, right? The last words we actually have recorded of Esau about Jacob before this point in Genesis 27, Esau literally says, I will kill my brother Jacob. He wanted blood. He was out for vengeance. So Jacob hears that Esau's coming with all these men. He was in panic mode. So that's where we pick up this morning. He's in panic mode. Esau's on his way. So let's start reading Genesis 32, verse 9. It says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob here does something very uncharacteristic of Jacob. He is spiritual. 
He cries out to God. That hasn't been his history. He had been the schemer, the planner. I'm trying to figure it out. But Jacob is brought to the point of desperation. And so he cries out to God and he begs for God's mercy. And he says, God, show up, deliver me from the hand of Esau. He finishes praying. He says, amen. And then in verse 13, what does he do? It says, so he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. So Jacob comes up with this idea to get a huge gift of herds to give to to Esau. Now, back then, giving herds is like giving wealth away, right? So you're buying, trying to buy his brother off, right? So hopefully by sending this to Esau, maybe he could save his neck. And all the faith and all the trust that he had just a few moments ago during his prayer seems to go away because Jacob starts to come up with his scheme, his plan. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure the way to save out to save myself. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can do this too, in a way. You know, a situation, an issue, a struggle, maybe a decision comes up in our lives. And many of us know what the right answer is to do. We pray, right? So we pray, dear God, please help me out. You know, I'm not sure how to fix this situation. Uh, I know you can fix it. Amen. And as soon as we say amen, our brains start to think about how we're going to fix the situation right? What am I going to do? What do I have to move? How do I get this figured out? And it shows that our hearts really don't trust in the Lord. We don't really trust that he is good, that he can deliver us, that his plan for the situation is for a great purpose. We think we can think we have it all figured out. And our prayer is to get God behind us instead of us getting behind God. So Jacob comes up with his brilliant idea in his mind about how to fix this big challenge that he's facing. So he takes his family, he tells them to to go somewhere else, right, to keep the kids safe. He takes the gift and he gets the gift out in front of them, right, to help help, uh, Esau be more happy with them. And in fact, he's so confident with his plan that he goes off and finds a quiet place to get a good night's sleep. Let's hop down to verse 24 and read what happens next. It says, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So sometime that night, some dude shows up out of nowhere and attacks Jacob, and it turns into an all-night WrestleMania match. And as we'll find out in a few verses, this is no ordinary man that goes after Jacob. This is God in human form. I'm sure Jacob at first thought this maybe is uh, some, one of Esau's men sent out to attack him, right? This is one of the guys that Esau's going to try to get me. But this is actually Jesus. And it's a special appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, also known as a Christophany. We can read that in other places in the Old Testament. Jesus would appear to Abraham, to Joshua. You know, he would appear to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And here, in this case, Jacob is wrestling with, with God himself, and Jacob goes for it, right? He wrestles all night, until it says, until the breaking of day. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He tries as hard as he can for as long as he can to win this fight. And I think this section that we're reading this morning begs each one of us to ask a question of ourselves. Are you wrestling with God like Jacob did? Not physically, of course, Right? But this story is going to have a lot of practical spiritual application for our lives because this story can translate and show us how we can struggle and strain and wrestle with God in our own lives. 
Now, Jacob's in this big trial at this point, right? He's trying to move his family away from Uncle Laban. Toxic situation, let's get the family out of there. I know just trying to get my three kids out the door feels like a big situation, right? That's a struggle. Now, imagine moving 11 of them and all your stuff, no moving van, no cars, and you got to pick up and move to another country. That's hard enough. But in the midst of this, as Jacob finds out Esau is coming, that his estranged brother is probably on his way to kill him, and Jacob's got a big problem. He was a schemer, so he's coming up with this plan to fix the situation. You see, in a way, before the wrestling match ever took place, Jacob was already wrestling with God. It was a fight of wills. Jacob's will versus God's will. It's interesting, God, through the prophet Hosea, has some interesting commentary on Jacob's life. Hosea 12, verses 2 through 3, tell us, The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Interesting words that God has to say about Jacob. In his own strength, he struggled with God. That battle of wills, right? Who is more in control? Is it Jacob or is it God? That struggle was there, and he did it in his own flesh, his own strength. Yes, Jacob prayed, and I think if you asked him, he'd say, yeah, I trust in God, but his actions showed something different, right? His actions showed, I trust God, but... I got to figure this out, but I have a good plan, but it's Esau and he's going to kill me. I think we can do that sometimes, right? God, I trust you, but this one's a hard one. This is a big thing. God, you don't understand what I'm facing right now. And we can throw that kind of stipulation there at the end. Yeah, God, I trust you, but this is the situation. You know, we all have our own moments of trial like Jacob. Maybe it's a difficult situation in our life, a struggle with a spouse or a family member. Maybe it's a sickness or a disease. Maybe it's a challenge at work, struggles with the boss, layoffs, uh, impending cutbacks. Maybe it's a financial struggle. It's hard to make ends meet lately, and inflation and everything going on economically has made that harder. Maybe it's a tug at the heart not to settle for the status quo in your faith, but to go deeper in your walk. Maybe it's a sin God is calling you to finally overcome. It could be so many different things, so many decisions, so many struggles, but we all have them. We all face them. When we have these moments, the question that comes out each time, whether we think about it or not, whether we even acknowledge it or not, the question is, do we trust God? Oh yeah, of course I do, right? I mean, I'm here on church, I got my Bible, like I worshiped, I trust, but no, do you really, truly trust the Lord? Sometimes we don't. I know that's true for my own life. There are times that I don't trust God. We might say it, we might outwardly do the right things, we might read our Bible and pray about it, but in our hearts we don't really believe that God will work things out. Sometimes it's not even as deep as that. Sometimes it's simply, well, I got to figure it out, right? We put that trust in ourselves. We put that confidence in what I can do. This is what I struggle with. I know I'm a planner, right? I like to, to try to think through and scenario plan and come up with different, you know, options and how does this work? And I know this sounds really weird, but one of my favorite things is a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets, right? You can sit and crunch numbers and like Excel can do so many cool things, <laughs> right? You guys are like, nerd. (laughs) 
I was not the nerd in my story at the beginning, just saying that, okay? I, <laughs> and while I don't come out and say I don't trust God, the very fact that I won't surrender a situation to him shows that I don't fully trust him because I try to put it in my own hands. And that's what Jacob is doing here. He has this plan. He's got it figured out. He's going to appease his brother. And when the wrestling match starts, he's still confident in himself. He's still going to fight. He's going to go all night long, mano e mano, with this guy. So what happens next? Verse 25 says, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, God, touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. At some point, God decides that the match is over touches the socket of Jacob's hip, and, and it goes out of joint. Boom, game over. And I think there's a couple remarkable things that we see out of this. Number one, God allows Jacob to wrestle with him all night. Now, is this a fair fight? No, not at all, right? It's not like God shows up and he's just like, oh man, Jacob's been working out. This is going to be a little bit harder of a battle for me, right? This wasn't even close. But God still allows Jacob to struggle with him. He allows the wrestling match to go on all night. If you've ever wrestled before, wrestling is an intense sport. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Now you picture Jacob doing this exhausting sport, but he literally thinks he's fighting for his life. And so he's just worn out. He's drained. But God allows him to do that. God allows him to hit that point of exhaustion. The second thing we see here is also that that once God wanted the fight to be over, he pins Jacob in an instant, right? It was over. All I have to do is touch him. The fight is over. It's not a long, hard-fought victory that God barely comes out ahead. He touches Jacob. Fight is over. And I think these two facts are also true when we try to wrestle or struggle with God. God allows us to struggle and wrestle with him many times. He allows us to exert our free will. Right? God created us for, with free will. And if we want to go down our own road, we want to fight with God, we want to try to take ownership back, he'll allow us to do that. Like you have kids. You, sometimes we see that with our kids, right? You're trying to say, hey, you know, if you just do it this way, no, I'm going to do it. I got it figured out. Sometimes you have to let them learn on their own. And we can do that with God, right? And God will allow us to go down that road for a path. He's not going to force us to walk down that road. And secondly, just like with Jacob, God can change the direction of the fight in an instant. We might exhaust ourselves trying to get things all fixed out before we finally involve God. We get to the end of our rope with no strength to move forward, and all it takes is a simple touch from the Lord to end the struggle. Verse 26, as we keep going, it says, And he, God, said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So the Lord touches Jacob's hip. It comes out of socket and Jacob can do nothing at this point, but cling to the Lord and ask him for a blessing. He has this realization that he cannot win. He had to bring himself to the point of surrender and confession. He had to surrender control over to the Lord and he had to confess that he wasn't strong enough to win. And he asked God to bless him because that's all he could muster at this point. And at this point, Jacob finds himself at the best possible place he could be. You might hear that and be going, what do you, what do you mean best possible place? He's weak. He's defeated. He's lost. He's tired, right? He's, he's nothing. How is that a good thing? 
See, in the midst of our struggles and our trials, being surrendered, totally surrendered to God is the best possible place we can be. We can't get anywhere in our faith. We're not going to be able to make progress as long as we struggle against God and try to plan out our own steps. Like that verse in Hosea, right? Uh, in his own strength, he was struggling against God. Jacob was not going to make progress, and neither would we until we say, God, I am going to surrender it all. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19, 21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Maybe you're in that struggle right now. Maybe you're facing that decision, you're in that trial, you're not sure which way to go, and things are not going so well. You're trying hard to keep your head above water, you're trying hard to hold things together, you've prayed about it a few times, but it just doesn't, doesn't seem to be changing. Things, things don't seem to be going well. You feel like you're failing. Maybe the call this morning is to surrender, to give it up to the Lord. See, and surrender is one of the hardest things I think is that, that we can do as human beings. Right? There's something inside of us that just doesn't like admitting failure or weakness or our inabilities. We don't like surrendering things up. But that's exactly where we need to get to, a place where we can wholly surrender the situation, the struggle, the decision up to God. And you see this repeated in so many places across scripture, right? Pastor Luke shared that this morning. Another place, uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Back in this day, when you were plowing a field, you would have two animals, two, you know, two ox, oxen or something that would be plowing, and you would put a yoke or a, a wooden crossbeam between the two. And the whole point of that yoke was to transfer the load to the stronger animal. So Jesus here says, take my yoke. My burden's easy. My yoke is light. If you're laboring, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you need rest, you're struggling, Give that to me. Let me take it, is what he says. James 1, 5 through 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You're facing that situation. All you have to do is ask, right? We can make it so hard, such a simple fact. But it says, ask in faith in trust, not doubting, not taking it upon ourselves. It says God will give you the wisdom that you need, but we ask in faith because when we doubt, it's like a, a boat that's being driven and tossed by large waves in the ocean. First Peter 5, 6 through 7 tells us, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. That verse tells us to cast not to hand off, not to share the load, not to say, I'll give you part of it. It says cast or completely toss that over to Jesus. Why do we do that? Because he cares for you. Sometimes we forget that when things are hard. God cares for you. He loves you. He wants us to give us those to give him those burdens, not because he wants to control us or to force us to do something, but because he loves you. 
He says, I want to guide your steps. I want to be the one that shows you how to do, because right through him, we find life abundantly, right? That's how we find true joy and peace and direction is through him. And so he says, cast it, give it to me because I love you. Finally, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths, right? Another promise. When we don't lean or rely upon our own understanding or our own abilities in everything, in all our ways, we acknowledge or give it all to the Lord. What does it say? He shall, he will. It's a promise. He's going to direct us. And you can read other places in Scripture where we get the same idea of surrender. Give it to the Lord. He's going to guide you. Give it over to Him. He will move. One more thing that's interesting in this section here in Genesis, that as Jacob asks for this blessing, God asks him what his name is. Now, did God forget? No, he didn't forget what his name was. But what he was doing was to get Jacob to admit who he was. What's your name? My name's Jacob, heel catcher. I'm deceitful. And sometimes God needs us to admit who we really are before he can move and bless us. God, I'm a sinner. I'm prideful. I have a hard heart. I want to impress the people around me. I care so much about my reputation. I'm a worrier. I'm fearful. Whatever it is, sometimes God needs us to get to the point where we confess it before him. And then God blesses Jacob and changes his name to Israel. That name Israel, simply put, means God rules. You go back and you read verse 28 with those meanings instead of the names. It says, and he said, your name shall no longer be called deceitful, but God rules. And that's exactly what we need to be to win in our struggles. We need to let God rule in our lives. And what's interesting, then he goes on to say, you Uh, have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You have won. God changes his name, and then he says, you have won this fight. And it's not because he was the victor, not because he pinned God down and made him bless him, not because he had overcome some obstacle, but Jacob won because he chose to surrender to the Lord. Verse 29, as we finish out our section, says, then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? So he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So here we see the realization that Jacob has that his wrestling match wasn't against some superior luchador, it was against God. And he names the site of this match Peniel, which means face of God. He had this realization that he had just experienced God's mercy. You see, back before the cross, God had said, nobody can see me and live, right? I think of Moses. Moses wanted to see God. He asked, hey God, can I see you? I want to see you. In Exodus 33, 20, It says, but he, God, said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. God is so holy, so perfect, so pure, that we can't even be in his presence because of our sin. We would die instantaneously. But on this side of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, because he has forgiven us, if we have asked God to forgive us of our sins, 
He has washed us clean. He has washed us as white as snow. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of his son, right? He sees the perfection of his son in us. Gosh, that blows me away. Me and all my failures and all my flaws and all my mistakes. God sees me as perfect. And so what Hebrews tells us, right, that the veil has been torn. We can boldly approach the throne of God because of what he's done. God is holy and we shouldn't be allowed anywhere near him because of our sinfulness. But Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You want to meditate on something this week? Meditate on Ephesians 2. God's mercy and his grace is so incredible, and we don't deserve it. We're just here sinners saved by grace, right? Just God doing a work in our lives. And Jacob experiences God's mercy in his own life. He's blessed. He's changed. He has a new name. And notice something else about him. It says he now walks with a limp. Jacob was permanently reminded of that night that he wrestled with God and surrendered. So too, when we bring ourselves to the point of surrender, when we finally put our full faith and trust in God and let him take control of a situation in our lives, we are permanently affected by the Lord. There's a reminder. And you can go back to that time and time and time again. So the next issue comes and you can go, but God was faithful back then and he'll be faithful again. That grows your faith, right? And then the next situation comes. It's a little bit harder and it's a little more scary and you're like, oh, I don't know. But wait, God was faithful. And there's that reminder there. Something else that's cool here is that not only was Jacob reminded constantly about God's work, everyone else around him could see the change too. It was such a significant change in Jacob's life that there arose this superstition in the children of Israel that no one would eat the muscle that shrank on Jacob in an animal, right? So when they were eating an animal, they wouldn't eat that muscle anymore. See, when God touches our lives, when he gets us to the point of surrender, when we let him work in our lives instead of us trying to plan our own steps, people around us will notice. It'll make a difference around us. Because people all around us are also facing struggles. They're facing challenges. They're facing issues. And when you can walk into a situation and you don't necessarily have the answers, you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it's okay. God's on my side. I trust in him. People are going to look at you and go, why? How can you be like that? How do you have hope? What is different? And you have this amazing opportunity to then share. Well, it's the Lord. I've surrendered it to him, right? You can be a witness, and that's what happened. Jacob's change in his life, everybody saw what had happened. We have that same thing. We have the opportunity to share that we have hope. Not that we're sharing that life is perfect, because life is not perfect, right? As believers, it doesn't mean that that everything's going to be great, right? The rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, Scripture says, but we have hope. We have guidance. We have direction. I couldn't imagine trying to make big decisions in life without the Lord, right? I'm a wreck already. Imagine if I didn't have God on my side guiding me. But to do that with God, knowing, all right, God, I'm just going to trust you, and I know it's going to work out, because your word says it is. And you go and you show that to the world, the world's going to go, man, I want that too. So I'll close with this question this morning. 
Do you trust God? Not the surface, yeah, I trust him, he's God, but do you really, truly trust in him? Do you understand that he is good and that he loves you? That he's worthy of giving your fears to, your struggles to, your decisions to? Do you trust him with your marriage? Do you trust him with your kids? Do you trust him with your job or your finances, your health, your anxiety, your sin, your very life? He cares for you. He is worthy of it. Surrender to God. He's worthy to be trusted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you, Jesus, for the example of Jacob. Lord, in his struggle, in his fight, in his life where his will tried to become the guiding force instead of your will, help us to learn from that. Help us to see that following after you, Jesus, surrendering to you is the best place that we can be. It's not a place of weakness. It's not a a, a moment that shows our lack of strength. There is no better place that we can be than to be surrendered to you. Lord, I pray for each heart in this room, everybody who may be watching this, Lord, that if they're facing different struggles, different situations, different decisions, Lord, and they've been feeling like a failure, or maybe they're unsure what to do, or maybe their anxiety or their fears are just eating them up. May that surrender that to you now, not wanting to retain any bit of it on their own, but to cast their care, to cast their burden upon you. Or they would just give that away. Or help us then to act in faith, Lord, when you take that burden, you say, move this direction. Help us not to say, well, I have a different plan, God, but help us to act in faith and to trust you, to walk through the doors that you open. And then may you give us boldness to use that as a witness to the world around us, that we may be able to share our hope and our peace that we have that is found in you with a world that so desperately needs it. So, Father, guide us, direct us, help us to surrender to you. Jesus, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.